Well, normally I'd say you can be seated, but you're already sitting down, so I'll just get started. Hey, this is the time for Christmas stories. Maybe turn me down just a little bit. Uh, and I love this one. This old fellow writes, he says, I got a nephew, and I think a lot of him. He works for the Shell Oil Company, and about four years ago, they moved him down to South America, and I ain't seen him since. But I still think he thinks about me and Maul Crabapple a lot, because every Christmas, he sends us a really nice present. This past Christmas, he sent us a live bird. It was green, about eight inches tall, had a yellow uh, notch on its head, some red on its back, and a hooked beak. He sent it to us live all the way from South America. And let me tell you something, it was delicious. I mean, I mean Ma fixed him up with dressing and some cranberry sauce and some sweet potato scuffle. It was good eating. Well, after Christmas, my nephew called me up. He wanted to know if we got the bird. I said, yes, we did. He said, I want to know if you liked him. I said, yes, we did. He was delicious. He said, you don't mean you ate that bird? He said, yeah, we did. Well, he went to a tirade. He said, I paid a lot of money for that bird. He said, that bird was worth the fortune. He said, that bird could speak four languages. I said, well, he should have said something then. <laughs> if you know me at all, you know, this is my favorite time of year. I mean, I love Christmas. Everywhere you go and everywhere you look, they're talking about our Savior. This is the only season that that happens. Everywhere you go and everywhere you look, they're playing our music. I was downtown Main Street, Magic Kingdom, Disney World, Florida, and they were playing Christmas carols in Disney. Now, here's the deal. Jeremy just reminded us for three weeks now that we're not just children of the Most High God. We are royal priests of the Most High God ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent God to the people, and we represent the people back to God. And in this Christmas season, with the atmosphere, I mean just saturated. Intentional or not, it is saturated with the things of Jesus Christ. We need to take full advantage of this. How are we going to do it? By praying and by the way we live our lives. And I got to tell you, family, I mean, I love you. I'm not just pointing my finger at us, but I'm watching that decline all across our country, in all of our churches. Prayer and holy living is on the decline. And if we're going to take advantage of this, we've got to get that going again. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 reads, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray and keep watch, the Bible says. Now, in the Old Testament, the watchman was the person that sat on the wall and watched over the city. Remember that? They were the first ones to see the armies attacking. They were the first ones to see the traders coming with their, with their wares. They saw things nobody else saw. They saw things before anybody else saw them. They were the watchmen. And according to Mark Batterson in his book, Draw the Circle, that's what we are every time we pray. We see things that people don't see. We see things before people see them. We become God's watchmen. I love that. He says that praying is the difference between seeing things with your physical eyes and seeing things with your spiritual eyes. In other words, you and I get a God's eye view, which is very important for this season because along with everything else going on, there's lots of sights and lights and sounds and distractions during the Christmas season, and it's easy to miss out on that because the deal is... The more you pray, the more you notice. The less you pray, the less you notice. It's just that simple. The more you pray, the more you notice. The less you pray, uh, the less you notice. Uh, now, neurologically speaking, that happens to us physically. The, uh, every one of us have a, a bunch, a cluster of nerve cells at the base of our brain stem called a reticular activating system, and it monitors our environment for us. 
It, it determines what we notice because we are bombarded every day with all kinds of stimuli, especially kind of during this season. Uh, and our RAS system determines what goes noticed and what goes unnoticed because your brain can't catch it all, you know? Uh, let me give you an example. Let's say that you just downloaded a brand new ringtone on, on your cell phone. And you swear you've never heard this ringtone before. But as soon as you downloaded it, you're hearing it everywhere. Well, it's not because people went out and copycatted you on this and they all downloaded the same ringtone. No, the deal was before you downloaded it, it was unnoticed to you. It wasn't important. But as soon as you downloaded it, your RAS system, your reticular activating system, said, hey, this is important. So now you're going to have to recognize that every time you see it. The same thing happens to us in prayer. Spiritually speaking, when we pray, it activates our RAS system spiritually. Uh, for example, last week at the end of the service, we prayed that we could all become more priestly, that we could become more like Christ. I mean, let's just say it. we prayed last week asking God to help us to become holy people, which is hard to pull off these days. And if we're going to continue to pull that off during this time, praying and living holy lives, we're going to have to continue to pray constantly. The uh, Aramaic word for prayer is the word slothda, and, and it means to set a trap. And the opportunities uh, for us to pray and the opportunity for us to live holy lives are pretty elusive these days, and, and we all know that. And if we're going to get them, we're going to have to set some traps. So we set prayer traps by uh, our activating system. See, if you and I can continue to focus on this prayer business, I mean, we just spent 40 days talking about it and doing it. And if we can continue to focus on uh, holy living, which is hard to do in these days, I mean, it just is. But if we can do those two things, then we can actually become, at South Union Christian Church, a group of watchmen for Christ. Watch people, I guess, in other words, which is more politically correct. Our, our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 23. You can pull that up on your cell phone or pull a blue Bible out in front of you if you want to follow along. You can have those Bibles if you need them. And Peter's going to challenge us to go deep, to live this holy life. And the first thing he says is we need to go deep mentally, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ is revealed. Use your mind, Peter's talking about. I mean, let's, let's be honest, in our society these days, we're a whole lot more concerned with feelings than we are thinking and reasoning. I mean, come on, you know that's true. It's like getting in a car and firing up the music, and you're singing to the music, and you really don't know the words, so you're messing up the words big time, but you don't care because you just want to sing. You know what I'm talking about? When I was a kid, man, when Elton John's Philadelphia Freedom come on, I'd get so pumped up, I'd just blast that song. He'd probably sue me if he knew some of the words I was singing to that song. But I didn't care, man, because I was just feeling it. You know, I just wanted to sing it. Our kids will say, man, you need to go see that movie. It'll scare the snot out of you. It'll make you feel really upset. You know what I mean? Or, but we've heard this for years. If it feels good, do it. If it feels right, it must be okay. Well, we have moved that into the church. Into the church. A lot of churches today are graded on how you feel when you leave instead of what you've learned. Now, I understand that emotions are God-given and they're good. Excitement, fear, laughter, sadness, anger, romance, joy, those are all God-given feelings, and they all have their place. But if you and I are going to go deep, and if we're going to be holy Christians, and if we're going to be part of the priesthood, and we're going to do things for Christ, and we're going to stay prayed up, we're going to have to use the noodle, the old brain pan. 
We can't rely on feelings. That's why Peter says, grow up and prepare your minds for action. That's why Isaiah 1.18, the Lord says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. We're told over and over in the Bible that, that wisdom, which is the ability to take knowledge and then use it in practical everyday life, and, and discernment, which is the ability to decide what's right and wrong, are great value to God. And that's why Peter says, think. You're going to grow up and be priests. Think about it. Use your mind. I love what the message version that says, Roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, get mentally alert so you can take fast, appropriate action if you need to. Use your head. Dad said to his son, he said, son, why in the world do you put all that makeup all over your head? And he said, dad, mom told me to, you know, to uh, make up my mind. (sighs) Missed me, didn't you? Dad said, son, I was going to slap you upside the head because you've got your head in the clouds, but I missed Think about that for a minute. You get it. I, I did read this last week. If you're having trouble with baldness, some of you need to pay attention. You know what I mean? If you're having trouble with that, I did read last week that what you should do is tattoo rabbits all over your head because unless you get real close, they just look like a bunch of hairs. <sighs> okay, I'm done. Listen to me. L- use your head. Even when you're trying to come up with jokes, Peter says, use your head. You ought to come to my house sometime after church on Sunday during lunch and just listen to what goes on because I take a beating, man. I take a beating on Sunday. Dad, you said Ebola instead of Ebola. Dad, you said ominous instead of ominous. Dad, you should never say that again from the pulpit. Are you kidding me? Somebody said two or three weeks ago that I messed up two of the scriptures and when I put them on the screen. You know what I say to that, right? Good for you. Good for you. At least you're listening. You're tuning in. Peter says tune in, and not just on Sundays, but every day, because most of the time when you and I fall into temptation, it's because we didn't use our minds. Instead, we yielded to the emotion of the moment. Why in the world, you know, you talk to somebody, they got married, and and it didn't last two years. And you say, why in the world did you think about it first? Why didn't you pray about it a little bit? Nobody ever responds to that. Well, we thought we'd just get married, have a few laughs, get divorced, and move on. No, you didn't think about it. Why in the world did you cuss your boss out at work last week and get fired? I just lost control. I, I didn't think it through. Are you kidding me? Why did you go into debt to buy that boat? You don't have the money for that boat. I know, but we went up to the boat sport and travel show, and it was on sale. You know, I didn't think about it. I bought the thing. See, if you and I are going to grow and survive the challenges to the Christian life, we're going to have to go a little deeper mentally. We're going to have to go deep enough so that we can get to the point where we can override temporary, fluctuating emotions because they're everywhere. We've got to start thinking with our spiritual mind instead of our physical mind. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Use your mind. We've talked about this before. Remember when Potiphar, or when Joseph was in Potiphar's house and his wife uh, came on to him, remember that? She was young and beautiful. He was young and unmarried, probably mid-20s. If he'd have responded to that uh, emotionally or, or in the moment, uh, if he'd waited till then to make up his mind, he would have caved in, but he didn't. He said, I can't do this and sin against God, and he ran. How did he pull that off? He pulled it off because he had trained his mind to be obedient to the Word of God. And so when that temptation came, even with all the desires that were floating around in the room, he was able to say, hmm, this looks like adultery to me. I've studied that in the Word of God. I don't do adultery. The answer is no. We prepare our minds by keeping tuned into the Word of God. 
David said, your word have I hidden in my heart so I might not sin against you. Man, we got to stay in the word. We're living in days right now where, where it was prophesied in the end time, so I don't know. You do what you want with that. But we're living in times where what is good is being called evil, and what is evil is being called good. And the only way for us to discern that is to stay in the Word. That's the absolute truth. One guy told his preacher, he said, I'd like to study the Bible, but so much of it's over my head. He said, then raise your head, dude, because this is important stuff. we got to be in the Word, family. Shut off the TV and read the Bible a little bit, or read a Christian novel. There's a lot of good Christian novels. Some of us need to give up our little devotionettes. They're nice, but they're kind of shallow. Some of us need to turn those in and read something a little deeper, like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, or uh, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, or, I don't know, Storm by Jim Cimbala. And we definitely need to stay in the Word. I read not too long ago, somebody's just written, written a book that they say proves that Jesus was married and had several kids. That's nonsense. Somebody says, well, Cain, how can you say that's nonsense? Because I've studied for 45 years. And not just the Bible. I did what Jeremy suggested we do last week with the, with the curtain thing. Remember, I've studied history. And I'm going to tell you something. I can be fooled in a lot of areas, but that's not one of them. Paul said in Ephesians 4.13 in the Living Bible, Become full, grown in the Lord. Then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds of what, what we believe because somebody told us something different or has cleverly lied to us and made the lies sound like the truth. Instead, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and, some be, and so become more and more in every way like Jesus Christ, who's the head of His body, the church. You and I have got to be p- people of truth. Angie sent me this last week. This is from Danny Gokey. Some of you know him. He's a Christian artist and singer. Uh, Pretty good. This is what he writes. Much of the church in Christendom today has let the fear of man, public opinion slash the mob, silence them from speaking the truth and excused it by saying we're trying to love people. We need to remember the Bible doesn't say that love sets people free. It says the truth sets people free. Telling the truth in love is our responsibility. If Moses had checked the barometer of public opinion, we would have never heard of him, and Israel would have perished. Joseph refused to bend to the sinful mandate of Potiphar's wife, even though it took him out of Potiphar's luxurious home and put him in a cold prison. Daniel refused to stop praying, even though it was mandated by the king, and it put him in a lion's den. The three Hebrew boys didn't bend to the mob, even though they were mandated to bow to this idol, and they ended up in the fire. I'm sure each of these were tempted with the thought that they could be more effective for God if they would just bend a little into the lie and gain approval for others and eventually win them to God. But the Bible says they didn't do that. Instead, they immediately confronted at the cost of their life and reputation and comfort. I'm also sure that many religious people of their day thought they were a bit extreme, closed-minded, and even wrong. Well, many churches and many Christians today have bowed to and even approved some crazy things in our society that go against the Word of God, and this must not be so. Truth will hurt as it cuts away the lies and deceit of the enemy, but it doesn't stop at the cutting. It also heals and sets people free. And I love this. If we don't tell people the truth, then we have rejected the truth for them. None of us have the right to reject the truth for another person. You and I are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Family, if we are going to grow up 
into Christ and be this royal priesthood that we know we are. We have to use our minds, and we have to speak the truth in tough days, and we have to do it in love. Secondly, he says we can prepare by going deep morally, becoming like God in holiness. Verse 15, but just who called you is holy, you be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, again, we've heard from Jeremy for three weeks now about this whole holiness business. It, It means to be distinctive. It means to be pure. It means to be sacred, set apart for God. The the word holiness has taken a bad rap. Anytime we hear the word holiness, we think of negative stuff like, you you can't do this, and you can't say this, and you can't go there, and you can't eat or drink this. You know, a holy person doesn't lie. A holy person doesn't cheat. A holy person doesn't drink. A a, a holy person doesn't commit adultery. They, They don't lie, smoke, chew, or run with girls who do, right? That's a holy person. Wrong. I'm going to admit one of the first things you need to do to become holy is get rid of the sin in your life. But it doesn't stop there. It starts there. For you and I to become holy people, it means that we become passionate about pursuing God's virtue. Holiness means we're trying to become more like the Father through Jesus Christ. Listen, for example, God is very generous. Are you? You should be if you're growing up in Christ. God is impartial. Are you? You should be. God is love. God is humble. God is kind. God is good. God is gracious and merciful. How are you doing with those things? As you and I grow up like we're supposed to, we become more and more like God like we're supposed to. And I'm going to tell you when that happens, our Christian walk becomes powerfully attractive. When you and I get to a place where we can pull off having this moral courage to stand up in love now, against all of this stuff going on around us, even in the churches. The churches are approving some pretty crazy things. And when you and I have the moral courage to lovingly stand up against that and still show the joy of Jesus Christ, people think, man, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want to hear more about that. You live that kind of life, you become a magnet for Jesus Christ, and people will be drawn to you. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. This growth thing happen, it takes a while. Paul Reese used to say the Christian uh, life is a gift and a growth. The gift of salvation, it comes immediately and it's complete, but the growth takes a long time. Look, some of us brought some bad habits with us over into the, you know what I mean, into the new life. And sometimes it takes a while to get rid of that, but as you grow up in God, it moves away and people see that change and they think, wow, I want some of that. We've been watching uh, Griffey and Acton play basketball, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, some of you I've been bumping into a lot at the, at, over at the sportsplex. But um, Acton is just getting to a place where he's understanding the game. Called timeout the other day during a, you know, a tie-up, and it's just like he's getting the game. And he is tenacious on defense. Anybody's watched him play for a 10-year-old, he's just like all over the place. But, but here's the day. I, I remember 10 years ago when he first started to walk. He fell over my feet. He fell over his feet. He fell over the dogs. And he'd giggle and get back up and no harm, no foul. But here we are 10 years later. If he couldn't walk now, if he couldn't get up and down to court now, that'd be a red flag. Some of us have been Christians for a long time. And if we're not standing morally and holy against some of the stuff going on around us, if we're not praying like we should, something's wrong. Something needs to be looked at. I got to get us down here uh, to the communion table. So four quick motivators, and I mean quick, in in order to get this done. Number one, we should have a desire to resemble the Heavenly Father. Verse 16, it is written, be holy because I'm holy. Somebody says, man, I'd love to pull that off. I I would love to say what Paul said 
in Ephesians 5.1, to be imitators of God. But I just, man, I, I can't. I've tried. I just can't. You know what I say to that? Nonsense. Baloney. Hogwash. Poppycock. Fooey. I mean, you put some words in there you want to. Because Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 that you and I have been given everything we need for life and godliness unto him who is Jesus Christ. We have everything we need to live this kind of life. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you obey my commands and remain in me, uh, you'll be just like me who obeys my, my Father and have remained in him. In other words, because of the transforming life of Jesus in each one of us, we can live like he did. It's in our DNA. Did you know that? You understand that? It's in here. We were created in his image and his likeness. We're not trying to become like Jesus. We are like Jesus. And the more you trust that, and the more you give into that, and the more you pray about that, and let the Holy Spirit bring that to you, the more you'll grow up in him. The second motivator is a reverent fear of judgment. Verse 17, since you know the Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Fear is a good motivator. I was talking to our pilot the last time we flew. We kind of delayed, and I was talking to him a little bit. And I said, what got you into flying? I'm just curious. And he said, well, I wanted to face my fears. And I said, oh, you, you have a fear of heights? He said, no, I've always been afraid of dying alone. <laughs> so listen, fear is, a, <laughs> fear is a good motivator. And, you know, if you knew that tomorrow you were going to be under surveillance all day long, I think you'd live pretty a, a different way. Well, we've got to be reminded, Christians, that we are under surveillance all day long. Where can I flee from your presence, David? Where can I hide from you? There's no place. And sometimes we're obedient to God because we love him. And sometimes, let's face it, let's just be honest, sometimes we're obedient to God because we're a little afraid of him. And fear is not the highest motivator, but, but it works. It's good. Number three, the third motivation to holiness is to recognize how empty unholiness is. Verse 18 says, For we know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. The empty way of life, Peter says. Sin is empty, man. We know that. I mean, when you get a grade that you don't deserve, you know, when, when you wake up with a hangover, or you wake up in bed with somebody who doesn't share your name or your ring or your future, how does that make you feel? Shallow. Empty unfulfilled, guilty. Sin's nasty stuff, but sin's a lot like McDonald's french fries. It's good. You know, on vacation, I had McDonald's four times. Now, Angie didn't join me, but I had been. And, and you might think, well, why in the world did you eat McDonald's four times? Because I like McDonald's. I like their french fries. I like their hamburgers. But sin's like french fries at McDonald's. It goes down so good, but when you're done eating McDonald's, you think, why in the world did I put that garbage in my body? And we think the same way with sin. Why did I do that? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like the prodigal son. You know, he spent all his money in wild living. He woke up one day, he's starving to death, and he's working at a pig pen someplace. And he said to himself, he came to a census, the Bible says, I'm not going to live this way one more night. And we've got to ask ourselves, when are we going to get to the place where we say to ourselves, I'm, this isn't worth it. I'm not living this. This is empty. The proportion of pleasure to cost of sin is way out of line, and I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live like a priest, an ambassador of Christ. The fourth motivator is the loving sacrifice of Jesus. I mean, come on. Verse 19, 
You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ was not plan B. It wasn't a a tragedy. It wasn't an accident. It was planned before the creation of the world. And if somebody loves you that much to shed their blood so you could live forever, wouldn't you want to be holy because they're holy? One last one and we'll pray. We're to mature socially by loving each other deeply. Deeply. Verse 22. Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. How are we doing with that, church? Not so good. We're not even doing very well with that, I think, in the church. I've been talking about this for a long time, and it's blowing my mind. I don't get it. It's costing me lately to speak some of the things I've been speaking. Because it seems like right now, and when I say you, I don't mean you. I mean you, (laughs) not, you know, all of us. It seems like these days, if I don't agree with you right down the line, spiritually and emotionally and politically and medically these days and theologically and socially, you're done with me. You're going to say crazy things about me on the Internet, and you're going to walk away from our friendship and our kinship in Christ, and I don't get it. What's happened to us? Family, there's been Democrats and Republicans my whole life, and we've got along in the church. There's been people on this side of the aisle and that side of the aisle and on, on abortion since Roe versus Wade, and somehow in Christ we get along. There's been people on this side and that side of homosexuality and this side and that side of mandates and this side and that side of my whole life. And for some reason, we've always managed to get along in Jesus Christ, and today not so much. We got to stop this church. We got to love each other deeply from the heart. John says, if you can't love each other whom you've seen, how are they going to love God whom you've not seen? We're going to come to this table this morning and we're going to think about all that Jesus Christ gave for us. This broken body and shed blood thing that we just spout out every week. Sometimes we take a minute and think about really his broken body and his shed blood. It's like, wow, he did that for me because he loves me. And now he's saying, I want you to love each other the same way. So I I don't know, if we don't get anything else out of this whole thing this morning, I'd say we got to get the love activated again. We got to pray for each other. We got to team up with each other. We got to show each other because the world will know we're Christians by our love. Jesus, thank you so much for the advent of love, for your example of love. We know this is what we should have and what we should do. We don't want the enemy to have his way. So as we come on our knees thanking you, we're asking you to inspire us, fulfill us, and anoint us to love each other the way you love us and to give you all the glory.